If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Matthew chapter 7. We're going to close out this Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. So we're looking at the very ending of Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Back in, in the year 1174, there was an Italian architect named Bonanno Pisano. And he, he began to work on what would become his most famous project, a separate standing independent bell tower for the cathedral of the city of Pisa. Now the tower was supposed to be eight stories tall, 185 feet high, but there was just one little problem. The builders, they quickly discovered that the soil in which they were building this tower on was soft and that the tower was beginning to list and lean to the south. More investigation found out that the whole city of, of Pisa is built on a, a sand. Matter of fact, the word Pisa means marshy land, all right? Um, so as, as the construction continued to go, the architects figured we've got to do something to offset and try to do whatever. It took 176 years to build this tower. And over that time, during that time, they tried to compensate for that, that tilt, so they worked on foundation, and, and they shored it up. The upper levels were even built in an angle to hopefully make it look straight, but that didn't work. Over the last 800 years, that tower has now leaned 18 feet off its plumb line. That's amazing. Experts have said that one of these days, this tower is going to fall, all because it was built on a poor foundation. Now, the sandy soil there, it's not stable enough to support a monument this size, so there really was no firm foundation for it, so it, it, it's ultimately going to have its catastrophic demise at some point. Now, back in 1990 to 2001, they closed the Leaning Tower of Pisa because there were experts from all around the world that came in to figure out how they could shore up this tower. And so they worked for, for nearly 12 years trying to, to help stabilize this tower at the expense of over $25 million. All right? They removed 110 tons of dirt and reduced its famous lean by about 16 inches. All right? As a result of their efforts, the tower is now believed to be secure for at least 200 more years. So, the work that has been done. Jesus has also said a lot about how we build our lives and the foundation upon which we build. Everyone builds on a foundation. I mean, that's, that's, that's it. Uh, everyone is going to face storms. And in the process of all that, it all comes down to this. Only those who do what He says will stand. So, <clears throat> as He comes to the conclusion of His great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of, he looks back at all that he has said up to this point, and now he is simply just saying, you've heard it, go do it. And that's what he's telling us. He, he wants us to understand that that issue that he gave them then is still the same issue that we have today. We've heard the word of God, but now it's time for us to apply it in our life and how we live so here in chapter 7, Jesus is pointing out that we all have a choice to make. 
he's told us that we've got two roads that we can travel down. One that's going to end to life and one that's going to end in destruction. He's told us that we can be one of two types of, of trees that bear fruit. One's going to bear good fruit or the other's going to bear bad fruit. And now he's going to tell us that we are to be two types of house builders. One that's going to build, one that's going to stand the test of time and the storms of life, or one that's going to crumble and fall. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, whichever construction choice you choose, I think there are a few foundational realities that we will discover to be true across the board. The first one is this. There is a foundation on which everyone's life is built. We all start on something, and we rest our hope and our life on something. All right? So the foundation for life really is equivalent to our, let's say, our worldview that we possess. Here's where mistakes are made that I think a lot of times can cause problems for us. Is, you know, just as we're looking at the rest of things down the road because of the construction of our life. It's so easy, I think, to compartmentalize our lives into segments, especially when life is disjointed. Now, we can believe in God and in Jesus, and we can go to church, but we don't believe that the decisions that we make throughout our day, how we spend our lives, how we treat people, the words we use, they really don't have that much of an impact on what I believe about God and Jesus. But that's not what the Bible says. Some might even believe that, that, that there is a place for religion in life, but it's not necessary that you really participate in that unless you want to send your children to church where they might learn morals and values and things that are good in life, and that would be, that'd be great for them to understand that. But yet when it comes down to when Jesus wants us to do in contrast to what we want to do, we put him in a little corner and we say, stay out of my business. Some people, they like going to church because it helps them feel good about themselves. And, and it, it, obviously, they can see the other people in the world who they're better than because they don't go to church, right? And we become judgmental with that attitude. But unfortunately, they may not have a relationship with Jesus. They're just using him, as Jesus has already talked about previously in this chapter. Now, whether you believe it or not, you are and whether you're consciously aware of it or not, what you truly believe about God is ultimately displayed in your life and in your actions. People will know how much you trust in Christ by how you live. Whether you realize it or not, people can judge and make a determination of that. And so every person, Jesus is telling us, has a foundation on which our life is built. 
whether it's a belief in Jesus and in His death and His redemption for us, or whether it's a foundation that we've created for ourselves because we think that we can do enough good in life that God will look at us at the end and He will say, great job, come on in. The Apostle Paul, in his writing to those who had put their faith in Jesus, he made this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He said, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> if everybody has a foundation that their life is built upon, the question is this, what's your foundation? What are you building your life upon? And how far are you listing south? Right? And that's what it comes to us in this. The second foundational reality that Jesus points out in our passage is this. There are storms in life, and everyone must weather. We're all going to face problems. We're all going to face struggles. We're all going to face hardships. Storms are a common occurrence in everyone's life, everywhere. As a matter of fact, just storms in general are everywhere in the world. I mean, we know that storms happen here in Missouri, and, and at the blink of an eye, it can change like that, right? But it's the same thing all over the world. However, with our modern technology today, we have the ability to prepare for that storm. We can see it developing way ahead of time, and, and we can see it dispersing, and we've got all this technology that gives us insight into it. However, back in the day of Jesus, they did not have Nexrad. They did not have, you know, the, the meteorologist who's on the television telling them something's coming up in the next three or four days. It was not. They just, it would just su surprise them at times. All of a sudden it was there. And a lot of times people were caught out in the storm. It's interesting to note, however, that both of these house builders that Jesus was speaking about, the one who built his house correctly and the one who was foolish enough and built his house that it became destroyed, both of those house builders were confronted with storms. Matter of fact, it seems to appear that it might even be the same storm because he's using the exact terminology and language as he describes them. They both are going to get hit. It doesn't matter how you build your life or on what you build your life, there is going to be a moment in life when a storm is going to come in. The metaphor here really isn't about building house it's about developing a life. And that's what he wants us to get at. That's the reason this entire time through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's been talking about our life and how we should build it and what we should build our lives upon. And the people represented by the two builders, they share one similarity and one difference. The similarity is this. They both are hearers of the word of Jesus. They both have heard how they're supposed to live. The difference is this, one is a doer of that, and the other is a no-doer of that. Right? So one chooses to be obedient to God, and the other chooses to not be obedient to God. And if you've heard that it was said, you are, I've heard that it was said, you're either in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm, or you're going into a storm, all right? Have you ever wondered why 
these storms happen in life. I mean, sometimes people say, why do bad things happen? Why doesn't God just you know, make everything really good? There was a book that was written, it was a bestseller, and the, the title of the book was, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And the author concluded this, well, there's not a real easy answer. I want to suggest to you that there is an easy answer to that. All right? There are no good people. So, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I don't know any good people. Because we've all sinned, right? We've all done bad. We've all gone against God. We've even gone against our own selves at times. So you look at what Paul said earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 3. He said, it's written that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, Paul, I disagree with you. I'm pretty good. Right? Pretty good. Doesn't mean I'm perfectly good. Right? None of us are perfect in this. So one of the great frustrations I have sometimes when I talk with people and they're dealing with this issue of the storms of their life and they they don't really want to do it God's way just yet. They wait until their marriage is on the rocks and it's falling apart so their money is crashing and crumbling all around them and they have nothing to support them there. Or maybe it's all of a sudden a cancer appears and they're now concerned about their mortality and the end of their life before they want to consider even Jesus Christ. They think that their lives have to fall apart before they can surrender to Him because they want to do it their way. Until the end and then I'll do it His way. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God, He demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But a lot of people in the world don't have that understanding. They think they've got to get perfect before God will want them. And so they're going to continue on their own, making a mess of the already messed up life. But that's not what God says. He says, when you are in the mess of life, that's when I want you. That's when I want to take you out of the storm that is raging around you. Remember back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, rain falls on the just and the unjust. We know that the sun is going to rise on the good and on the bad in this world. It's just simple that God is going to do these for all of us. Everything He gives us is because of His grace, His unmerited, undeserved grace. We've not earned it, and it goes out. In our text, Jesus says that a day is coming when rain is going to fall even on the good people. Quote, good people, right? The just And the winds are going to beat on every house of every man. And ultimately what he's speaking about is this. He's speaking about our death. That none of us are going to escape it. Matter of fact, statistics are very conclusive. Ten out of ten people are going to die. You you can't escape it. It's a reality that is, is true. 
And every person who has ever lived since Jesus spoke these words has built his house and has done his thing until the storm came, and at which point it was determined whether or not his house was built on the rock of faith or the sand of their own choices. Now Jesus, as he's wrapping up his sermon... He's told them all about the attitudes they should have. He's told them about there to be salt and light in this world. He's told us not to be judgmental. He's told us how we should give and how we should be secret in the things we do. He's, he's bringing all these things out. And now here at the end of this thing, he says, you have to remember, there are only two roads in which you can travel down. There are only two types of trees that you're going to be. And now he says, there's only two ways to build your house, your life. He wants us to know you have this choice to make. What are you going to choose? Upon which foundation are you building? But wait, some people might say, I have another question. If God is our good Father, why does he allow the devil and evil to inflict pain on people who are innocent? People, he brings up the disease and destruction and, and, and death and discouragement and all the difficulties of life. Why doesn't God just stop Satan from doing that and make things easier for us because he loves us, right? Why does he have, let us put up with all the misery of life? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, God can stop it. And he will stop it. But he's going to permit these struggles in life for our benefit. It's hard for me to realize how can I go through something that's miserable and it turn out beneficial for me. But remember, he tells us that all things work together for good. For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All right? But right now, God is going to allow the storms to rise that are going to test the foundation of our faith in order that we might see where we stand with Him. Several years ago on the East Coast, cod fishermen began to experience a real demand for their product. And so they began to ship them out across the country. They would, they would freeze the cod and put them in the, in the, in the, the trucks and trains and, and send them out across the country. The problem was when they got to their destination, they lacked flavor. Uh, freezing them wasn't good. So they come up with another way of doing this. They decided we will create saltwater tanks and we will keep them alive and ship them in the saltwater tanks that way they'll be fresh when they get there. But another problem was discovered. Because they're just kind of sitting there in the saltwater tank, they got soft and mushy and it wasn't the best. Until finally, one fella had an idea. Let's put their enemy in with them. A catfish is an enemy and a predator of the, the cod. And so they would put a tank of salt water and put the cod in there and then put some catfish in with them. And the catfish would chase them all over the tank, and so they're, they're going. And when those that made it and survived and got to their destination, they were still fresh and flavorful, and it was, they could sell them at premium prices. Why? Because they put stress on those fish, and they had to deal with the predator. Now, when we consider that 
in our lives, God says, because I want the best for you, both now and in eternity, I'm going to allow an occasional catfish in your tank. And he's going to chase you around, and you're going to have to stay alert and stay alive, all right? Otherwise, you're just going to sit around and get soft in your faith. We need to build our life on the rock of Jesus because he is a sure foundation. All right? In fact, Jesus taught us to expect the storms in life. You go to John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, what Jesus is telling us is you're guaranteed to have problems. They're going to come in a variety of ways. Just like that massive storm that caused the flood and beat against those houses, there are going to be storms in your life that are going to beat against you to determine whether or not you're going to stand or whether you're going to fall. Back when Maurice and I were young and newly married couple, we had traveled down to Florida to visit some friends of ours in Winter Haven. Well, on one day we decided we were going to head over to the Atlantic coast and go along around Daytona Beach and all that kind of stuff. And it was that day, and it was getting night, and we decided we better head back. But the problem was we had not paid attention to the weather alerts, and a storm was coming in. And it was a pretty good storm. Well, as it has... Sun has set and it is now dark. We're heading home. Driving along the coast. Now, you've seen those warning signs, haven't you? That sometimes they'll pop up there along the highways and, and they will say something like, you know, warning, flash flood. Be alert. Water may rise without warning. Fast moving water may result in serious injury or death. Well, I'd read those signs, but I ignored them. Like most of you, right? You just drive them by and you say, yeah, oh, oh, interesting, you know. Wonder what that means. <laughs> Till that night, I had ignored them. Well, what happened is we were driving along the coastal highway by the ocean. All of a sudden, our car was underwater. And then it was out. A wave had come in and just washed over us. <laughs> I mean, you talk about alert. I'm alert. All right, and we still have quite a ways to get back uh, over to the uh, central part of, of uh, Florida. I'm paying a lot more attention to the signs now as they approach, and I might slow down and look and watch. But my car began to chug and chug and chug, and we limped back, driving about 30 mile an hour all the way. Finally found out what happened was because we got flooded with so much water that it had got into the computer system of the car and short-circuited it. Here was God's blessing, however. We were 10 miles under our warranty. <laughs> and it got replaced free. <laughs> now, uh, you never know. But I'm thinking, oh, great, this expense. No. The blessing is there. But we still had to go through that to learn a lesson. See, that's somewhat what like the storms of life are about. We're each going to face. We've been warned that those things can occur. 
But we travel on ignoring the signs, don't we? And then at some point in life, you're going to get flooded. And the storm will test the foundations of your life. You see, the Bible is perfectly clear that every person is going to have an account that they're going to have to give one day about their life and about their choices. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now we all know that we're going to die at some point, even though we try to ignore its imminent coming, right? And when we die, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account for the things we've done in life, whether good or bad. Now I know you're going to say, well, but Jesus, Jesus saved me from my sin, so I don't have to worry about that. Well, yeah, you may get to go into heaven, all right? But he's also going to look at, what have you done? Are you prepared to give an answer to him? See, we saw that last week when Jesus spoke on the false prophets who would infiltrate the church, they would profess their faith in Jesus by using his name for their own benefit, right? But you remember his response? When they called him Lord, Lord, he declared to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, in that moment, every excuse, everything you have done to build your life on is going to be tested. How do we think that we have the strength to endure that kind of testing? I don't. That's why I have to rely on Jesus. Right? How can you continue to stand in the face of all the things that happen in life and still wake up the next morning and go? It's my faith in Jesus. How are you not crushed when you hear terrible news? It's your faith in Jesus. What is it that gives you hope that you're going to survive the storm that comes to your life? It's your faith in Jesus. This leads us to our final foundational reality. That only those who do what Jesus says will stand. So let's go back to his parable, okay? In his parable, both houses have foundations. Both houses face a storm, yet only one endures. The question is, what makes the difference? Jesus says it's the foundation. What is that house built upon? What is your life built upon? Let's look at how Luke records this parable. Luke chapter 6 beginning at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show him what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and a stream broke against that house, it could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream rose and broke against it, immediately he fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So what Jesus is telling us is that the wise man built his house correctly, 
by digging down until he found solid rock, bedrock to build his life on. All right? In fact, they still do that over the Middle East. Sometimes they may have to dig down 30 feet until they find rock. But then they will establish their foundation on that. So the things, when it shifts and shakes and changes, the houses are secure. But Jesus says that the other man, the one whom says he calls foolish, he just took things at face value and said, this looks like a good place. And he built his house there. And when the appearance looked good on the outside, it looked solid, it looked wonderful. But when the streams rose, it had nothing that it was built on. And so great was its fall. See, we have the same choice. We can either hear what Jesus says, push it aside, or we can dig deep down into the lessons that he's teaching us and begin to apply those in our lives and how we live on a daily basis. All right? Do the difficult work of trusting him and obeying his word and what he says for us to do. Now, you need to keep in mind that, that Jesus isn't just some life coach or value instructor. All right? Matter of fact, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29 as we close out this chapter here. He says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He taught as one with authority because he is one with authority. He is the very Word of God, being God Himself in the flesh. He is all authority. Matter of fact, He's going to tell His disciples before He ascends into heaven that I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the authority. And here they're listening to Him teach and they're going, nobody has ever taught things like this. He speaks as if He knows what He's talking about. The Bible even describes him there at the age of 12 going into the temple where the predominant teachers of the law were. And he's asking them questions and they're asking him questions and the answers and they are amazed even at the age of 12 how he understood the scripture. Amazed. His brother, James, writes a letter to the church. And in that letter he tells us it isn't just enough to simply believe. You've got to take what you hear about Jesus and about hear about life from the Word of God and you've got to apply it to your life. Listen to what he says in James 1, 22-25. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a, a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. 
but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer of the word who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if your life is built on a foundation of trusting Jesus in order that you will actually do what he says, it, it is evidenced in how you live your life. Not just by what you say, but by what you do. And if you haven't changed your life over to the course of this sermon series that Jesus has brought to us, this Sermon on the Mount, I think there's something wrong with us. We can't just simply listen to His words and not apply them. We've got to invest them in, the, in our life change here. And I know your life may be really busy, and it may be hectic right now, and it's going to get more hectic as the season progresses here towards the end of the year. But that doesn't release you from a responsibility of following up on what you've heard about Jesus and how He wants you to live. All right? He's not going to give out an exemption on that day of judgment because you would tell Him, well, I was kind of busy and I didn't have time to really think about it. All right? He's not going to grade on the curve. We're going to have to tell Him the truth. Because he already knows the truth. You see, it's in these times of testings, these storms of life, where we become aware of how deep our faith is in Jesus. With Jesus as the cornerstone of our foundation, we know that we're building a life upon something that is secure, that will weather any storm that comes our way. He's the one who gives us the strength to stand. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6 makes this statement, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Now, I know that we're going to mess up. I know that we're going to allow the circumstances to throw, off, throw us off our course and we'll struggle through terrible medical diagnosis. We might have relationships that fall apart and circumstances that are going to arise to make us question our future. And however that happens, we have to understand that Jesus never fails. And if you build your life on Him, it doesn't matter what storm comes against you. When that storm is over, you'll be standing. It isn't about our strength. It's definitely not about our own willpower or our ability to endure. It's about the strength that we gain from His Spirit living in us. His Spirit is the one who gives us the strength to overcome. It's not on my own. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, John says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commands. And His commands, they're not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, 
our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Your faith in Him helps you become victorious. It's the foundation of life and a foundation of faith that leads us to be able to say, as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 10, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Did you catch that? It doesn't matter what comes your way. If you've got Christ in you because you have put your faith in Him as the Son of God, you're going to survive. Even though life is miserable, you will be victorious. You see, all of these storms, storms are over and we face that final storm of God's judgment because of Christ, we will stand. We won't stand because of what we've done, but we will stand with a faith in what He has done on our behalf. His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His continual interceding on my behalf before God right now because I'm an idiot. And he's going to do that. All right? We stand because we surrender ourselves. And as Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So, let's wrap this up. Hearing and obeying Jesus' words makes one wise. Hearing and not obeying Jesus' words makes one foolish. Jesus has told us this throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount. And now He's laid it down for us. You've got a choice to make. Remember, there's a narrow road and there's a broad road. There's a tree that bears good fruit and a tree that bears bad fruit. Now there is a builder who builds his house on a foundation and one who just builds it wherever he thinks looks good. Right? You've got a choice. So here's the thing. Jesus has drawn a line, so to speak, in the sand. And you've got to determine... Are you going to be on his side or your own? My preference is I'm with him. And I pray that that's a choice that you make as well. But he asks you not just simply to pick up his Bible, his words, not to read it, not to memorize it, but He asks you to apply it in how you live in this life. Be a doer of the Word so you don't simply just deceive yourselves. It becomes you. It becomes how you live. 
That's what he's asking. That this, his word, is living and active in you. Let's pray.